The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, welcome. It's nice to see you all. Tonight is the fourth class in our class, fourth uh, gathering, fourth uh, getting together to talk about insights. And the topic today is going to be about impermanence. I don't have to tell you, I think everybody, I think, I know everybody here knows things change. (laughs) Right? It's... uh, Change is a natural part of our experience of our life. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And this change can be exhilarating. It can be frightening. It can be exhausting. Or maybe it's a relief. It's this big range. When we start to notice change, it can spark sadness. It can spark happiness. It can spark resistance. It can spark grasping and clinging. All different ways we can respond to when we notice that things are changing. That they pass away. They rise and pass away. Insight into some deep way, in some I'll talk about this in a little bit this evening. Insight and awareness, a recognition, a type of knowing of impermanence is central to Buddhist practice, especially in the tradition here and how we practice here at IMC. You probably wouldn't exaggerate if you wanted to say that impermanence is key. It's one of the key teachings that's underlying everything even though that's not the language that we're using, or even though that's not the rhetoric that's being used, or maybe it's not the most common topic, but it's underneath everything about Buddhist practice and finding our way to greater freedom and greater ease, greater peace, liberation. And often this is not spoken about directly, as I have been speaking about things directly in this class, Sometimes it's just left for it to be an insight, something that, oh, aha, you discover for yourself. So with these weeks, I've been like pointing towards things and planting seeds that may make it so that when you do have these certain types of recognitions, it sticks with you in a way of like, oh, yeah, okay, this this is meaningful. This has uh, import. It's... um, something worthwhile remembering. So, in the Buddhist teachings, there is not a teaching that says that suffering is inherent in the world. Sometimes people like to translate the first noble truth that way. The first noble truth is, there is suffering. And then it gives a big long list of things, birth, aging, death, all kinds of other things. But So this insight into impermanence helps us to see that suffering arises when we cling, when we're trying to hold on to and grab on to things that which are changing. That's when suffering arises. We start to discover that, in fact, everything is changing. And we start to discover that, in fact, we're trying to cling to everything. And that's part of why clinging doesn't work. It's part of why clinging leads to suffering. And when clinging disappears, when we let go, when there's some softening, some easing, then impermanence no longer gives rise to suffering. So the solution to suffering, there's a few of them, maybe one of them, maybe this is the key. For a different one of us, we have different ways in which maybe the key. This is certainly one of them. The, the key is to end clinging. So 
when we start to notice that things are impermanent, notice in a really deep, intuitive, experiential, empirical way, rather than an intellectual understanding, we just stop clinging. Because we see it just somehow just doesn't make sense anymore. It's not something that we have to make ourselves do. It just arises. So a lot of our Buddhist practice is to help create the conditions in which we can have this insight. So impermanence can be seen in three ways. The first way is the conventional way in which we're all familiar with. Seasons change, the weather changes, our bodies change, the bodies of others change, our moods change, societies change, the news change. Like we can see, we're all familiar with this. And it's accessible to everybody, this understanding. And it's accessible to us, even when we're not meditating or we're not practicing. And sometimes, sometimes when we realize, oh, this experience is impermanent, it's changing, we can relax with how it is and just allow its coming and going, its alterations, its changeable, its arising, disappearing. We can just relax with it and say, oh, okay, that's just the the way that it is. Much like we do with the weather. We know we can't control the weather, so there's a certain amount of like, oh, okay, the clouds are coming, or the clouds are leaving, or the wind is coming. a certain type of recognition and a recognition that we can't control it. It's the nature of the weather to change. We can just let go into it. So sometimes when we realize that things are impermanent, we can relax with how it is. But if we can't relax, then maybe we could look into what is it that's helping us to hold on to, have this resistance to things that are changing? What is it that is, why are we clinging? What is it that we're really clinging to? So even though we might understand things change, I find myself that there's a certain poignancy with the wildflowers. I went for a hike yesterday and happened to see quite a few wildflowers. And I was thinking that it was too late in the season and to see them was such a delight. And I was like, oh, look, here's a little purple one. Here's a little yellow one. Oh, look at these little white ones. I just found all this delight. And I noticed there was this little, like, holding on to, like, oh, these are going to be gone soon, these wildflowers. I want this wanting to keep them there, keep the delight there. Even though I know, right, this is just what happens in the spring, flowers come. Some springs are different than other springs, but... So there was a certain kind of sweetness for me to realize, oh, Diana, okay, is this pleasurable? You're taking delight in it. Can you just allow them to be? So once I could notice that I was holding on to them. In the same way we can do this too. Some of the ordinary ways that we understand that things change, that we see that things change. A second way in which we can understand impermanence, as I mentioned, is from a deep, direct seeing, a deep, direct knowing. Knowing in a way that's somehow different than an intellectual knowing, somehow different than a cognitive understanding. Maybe in the same way that we all understand that everybody's going to die. But when you have somebody that you know die, you understand that in such a different way that kind of a knowing that you just know it in your bones somehow. 
or know it um, deeply. So Buddhist practice helps us to have this second type of knowing about impermanence. Helps us open and see and know the, the less immediately perceptible ways in which things are changing. Help us have this insight into the moment to moment arising and passing away. When the mind is really still, really quiet, we start to see in which all the subtle ways in which things are in flux. Maybe there can be a sense that they're flashing in and out of existence or flickering or sparkling in some kind of way. This is a different way of seeing and knowing that's really only available to the quiet mind, concentrated mind. And as I said, in this deeper experience of impermanence, there's this type of softening, relaxing, non-clinging, non-grasping that just happens when we just see, oh, it just simply doesn't make sense to try to hold on to the wind, to try to hold on to smoke, to hold on to these things that are um, more ephemeral. Even though on the conventional way they may seem solid and stable, In this deeper experience or this deeper scene of impermanence, we can also realize that that which we cling to, that which we hold on to, that which we grasp tightly, turns out not to actually be objects. What we cling to are ideas, concepts. It's not so much that we cling to that we have to have a particular number in our bank account. It's more the idea of what that number means. Maybe it means security. Maybe it means status. Maybe it means doing better than somebody else. Whatever it might mean. Things that we cling to when we notice that ourselves that we're aging and changing and Maybe our hair's falling out or whatever's happening. It's more the idea of ourselves as being young and vibrant and healthy as opposed to those particular hairs. It's not the object so much that we hold on to. It's ideas about what they might mean, what these objects might mean, or concepts about how things should be or shouldn't be. I'm clinging to this because I believe things should be a particular way. I'm clinging because I think I should be a particular way. I think you should be a particular way. Of course, these thoughts are not at the forefront of our mind. But if we're quiet and we can settle, we can gently investigate what is it really? What is it really that we're holding on to? So mindfulness practice, as taught in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the classic text describing the establishment of mindfulness, And those instructions is the instruction to be aware of the nature of of arising, the nature of passing away, and the nature of both arising and passing away. So just to notice, place our awareness on, pay attention to, oh yeah, this wasn't here just a moment ago. Oh yeah, this is gone. It was here just a moment ago. Or maybe just to notice, yeah, it's in flux, it's changing, maybe in a subtle, quiet way. 
or maybe the time frame from which it's changing is slow and we don't actually see it changing, but maybe we have a sense of over time this changes. So part of the instructions for mindfulness is to turn towards this. Whatever the object of our mindfulness might be, to notice that it arises and passes away. And it doesn't require that we actually can notice that exact moment when it arises or when it passes away. We can just, as I said, kind of notice like, oh yeah, I'm paying attention to this, but this wasn't here just a moment ago. That can be just a quiet little thought that arises in the mind. It can be this kind of retrospective post-talk analysis like, oh yeah, that's that thing that was bothering me or that I was paying attention to. It's not here right now. So again, the instructions are to notice it has that things have the nature to arise and pass away. We don't have to actually notice the precise moment when it arises or passes away. Just to notice that movement. Then I'm using these words arising and passing away and that is the language that we can translate to the sutta. Maybe it's useful to have them be a dichotomy but maybe it's also or a binary, you know, arising or passing away or, or maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But maybe it can be helpful also to think about a spectrum. In some kind of way there's this dimension of this continuum of arising or changing experiences. It's maybe arising and passing away in some kind of way of a continuum. There may be one way to think about it, to experience it, or maybe it's more helpful to think about it in a more dichotomous way. So with mindfulness practice, it's very common. At first, it's more easy to notice the arising of things, the beginning of things, that things start. Like, oh yeah, this is happening now. It wasn't happening a moment ago. Something becomes compelling. It's often the instructions, right, to turn towards what's compelling. It's compelling because... Maybe it wasn't there, or that intensity, or that exact experience just a moment ago. That's what makes it compelling, is that it's something new about it. But as we start to practice more mindfulness, and as the mind starts to quiet down, and we start to settle, we can notice that the endings of things, the going away, the fading, the passing away, And then as we get really quiet, we can start to notice the continuous change, the flickering. So in the beginning, we might notice what's new and then fresh, and what's kind of like old news, what's gone, we just don't notice. If we, with, uh, with mindfulness practice, if we can intentionally try to notice arising and passing away, kind of highlights the changing nature. And of course, we can do this with whatever the object of our meditation is. For many of us, we practice with mindfulness of the breath. Part of the reason why mindfulness teachers suggest starting with the breath is because it changes. There's always something a little bit new, something a little bit fresh. But in the same way, you can just notice the changing nature of the breath. Highlight the way it changes. Gets altered. But in these series, I also talked about Vedana, whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. For those of you who were here or who are familiar with that practice, 
might notice that there's all kinds of things that are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and they're coming and going and coming and going. So another way in which we can notice impermanence is to just notice how things that are pleasant don't last forever. And of course, those things that are unpleasant or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, they don't last forever either. I also talked about the sense doors, the experiences that we have with the eye, um, nose, tongue, body, ears, and mind. I think I think I got all of them. The sense doors. Right. Sometimes we hear something, then there's a bodily sensation. Then we have a thought. Then we hear something else. Then another thought. Then a bodily sensation. Right. They're always changing. That's another way in which we can. Um, Pay attention to how there's this continuous movement of what's impinging on the sense doors. And then, of course, uh, last week I also talked about the five aggregates, the encouragement. We could simplify them to what's um, phenomena associated with the body or form and phenomena in the mind. We can notice how body, mind, body, mind, how there's like there's there's we're going back and forth and having experiences with both of them. And then of course we'll notice that thoughts and ideas and notions they don't last forever either. How many different thoughts have you had today? So if we really start to think about it or to look at it, you'll see how much things are changing. As I said, getting concentrated helps us to see. We can see some subtle changes that we can't see with just our unconcentrated mind. I also want to say, for someone whose life is feeling like it's falling apart or... It's really unbearable or really difficult because of change, social change, personal change, health change, whatever it might be. It may or may not be helpful to do a practice with impermanence. It may feel like that's the last thing they want to do. There may be times in our life, there may be times in our practice when it's helpful, when it's supportive, to emphasize stability, some stableness and centeredness, rather than emphasizing change. Both are true, but it can be helpful to have a sense of steadiness, which can help us have a sense of safety, which can help have the mind settle down. So even though impermanence is a key insight and a key teaching, it's part of a greater practice. We shouldn't be emphasizing impermanence if it feels like it's destabilizing to see how unstable everything is. Maybe I'll end with this part, saying that I said that when we start to see impermanence in a really deep way, the mind becomes, I said, clinging stops. But a certain type of, kind of like the, uh, the Buddhist words that they use, I, I like this word, is disenchanted. That is kind of like breaking the spell of enchantment. That is, breaking the spell of thinking that, oh, now finally this will be a source of lasting happiness. Oh, no, wait, this will be a source of lasting happiness. Oh, okay, maybe that. Okay, now this will be a source of lasting happiness. Right, we're always looking for this. and We haven't found it yet. So we're kind of are enchanted. We're kind of under this spell, thinking like, okay, I just haven't found the right thing yet. I 
just haven't got my life perfectly organized yet, then it'll be a source of lasting happiness. Yeah, but there isn't anything to cling on to that will be a source of lasting happiness. Those happiness, no doubt, hopefully all of you have experienced this, but if we think that we're finally going to land on and hold on to that one thing, we'll be disappointed. That's suffering. That's part of what suffering is about. So the teachings say that one will be disenchanted, but a person will also be disillusioned. That is, reconnecting with what is real, what is true, as opposed to being under the illusion that everything is stable and doesn't change, or the illusion, whatever illusions that we have about ourselves, about others. And part of the illusion is thinking, having that idea that if we could just land somewhere, we'll be happy. We'll be, we'll be able to escape from suffering. The reality is just opening up to the changing nature of everything. 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 That is, there is no place that is perfectly stable. And it's opening up to that in which you find the safety that we're all looking for. So after disillusionment, reconnecting with what is true is, and the word is dispassion. Passion is described in the Buddhist teachings as a type of getting, holding on to and being really entangled with and thinking like, okay, this is it. This is the, yeah, what's going to be a sor- another source of lasting happiness. Instead is this, to be dispassionate is to have really, have this really great openness and equanimity, a balanced stability, despite all the changing that we can see. And it's that openness, that equanimity, that movement, the opposite movement of clinging, that's where freedom is. That's where peace is. And it's maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but that's where stability is also. And that's where liberation is. This is what liberation is. It's this opening, opening, letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. So I said there are three ways which we can see impermanence. The third way is to see the changing nature and to let go in the deepest level of our psyche in the deepest level of our being and there's where freedom is so now I'll lead us through a guided meditation even though I can see many of you are settled and do a guided meditation which will emphasize impermanence. If you'd like to shift your posture or stand up briefly or something. Okay. You can even just notice the change. Oh. Okay, we were listening to a Dharma talk. Diana's still talking, but she said it's going to be a guided meditation. Things are changing. So you can settle in any way that makes sense to you, that's consistent with your practice, that you're comfortable with. For some people, this is taking... A few long, slow, deep breaths. 
for some people. It's through just doing a kind of a global scan through the body. For some people, it's connecting to the pressure of the chair, the cushion, or the feet, and really feeling here. In whatever way feels comfortable, familiar for you, can you just settle in somehow? connected to the present moment, connected to your experiences, you might bring your attention to the sensations in the head. You might notice how just a moment ago you weren't perhaps bringing your attention there. Your face, eyes, and jaw. You might notice some tension, some tightness, contraction. If so, See if there can be a little softening. A letting go, an openness. This may or may not lead to relaxation in the sense that you don't have to force it, make it happen, we're just noticing. Allowing, opening. I'll lead us through a little body scan here. The shoulders. The upper back. The lower back. The chest. Maybe there can be just a very slight opening of the chest, if that makes sense for you. The belly. Feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. You can feel grounded. You're here. Safe. Now, with the upper legs and the lower legs, and the feet. Another place we can feel grounded. In order to notice change, it can help to really feel stable. I can be in our posture. Feeling grounded, steady. And lastly, we can bring attention to our arms and our hands. Bring your awareness to the sensations of breathing. Noticing the movement, change, changes in the body associated with breathing. Notice this rhythm. Not one thing being constant, but a rhythm, a changing nature. 
Maybe we can open it up to also include sensations in the body. Also open our awareness to include sounds in a relaxed, gentle way. We don't have to grasp after any of these. Just opening up the awareness and allowing sensations of breathing, the body, sounds. Just allow them to show themselves to you. Now let's place an emphasis on noticing how things arise, the beginning of things, how you're having new experiences. Just notice the start, the beginning, the newness, the arising of phenomena, of experiences. And you notice that there's lots of new, fresh phenomena, experiences arising. Whether it's in the body, sounds, even mental events. Now we can place an emphasis on noticing the endings of things, passing away, a shift away from. You might not notice the precise ending, but you might have kind of like this memory like, oh yeah, that thing was just there and it's not there now. 
What kind of things are ending? What experiences are you no longer having? Can you just notice the changing nature, the impermanent nature of all your experiences? Sometimes they're more vivid. Sometimes they're not in your awareness at all. Experiences a flow of experiences. Whatever object is that you're noticing, can you notice the changing nature, the impermanent nature of your experience of that object? Is there anything that isn't changing? And then to end this meditation, 
Feel your feet on the ground. Feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. I started that meditation with this encouraging you to get settled in whatever way is your usual way you're accustomed to. And I led us through a little bit of a body scan just to help kind of connect and be here now. And then to pay attention to the breath and then the body, sounds... We could even include mental events. I didn't say that explicitly. And then just to notice, sometimes it's easier to notice the arising, this beginning, the start. And then this maybe is the mind starting to get settled, maybe to notice the endings. And then to notice both, or just the continuous changing nature of things. So I forgot to get the microphones, because I'd like to hear from you all. I can do they Thank you. Actually, you know what? I'm going to turn this microphone on. I'm going to hand it to you. Can you just say your name? And we'll go around the room. We'll start by everybody just saying their name. David. <coughs> Christine. Nima. John. Harry. Bess. Peter. Jillian. Nice. Happy to see you all here. So now I'd love to hear from you. What was that meditation like? Was it easy to connect with the beginnings of things or the endings of things? Or one was one easier than the other? Was it... Um, different than what you usually do or is this always what you're doing what, what you have questions comments what was that like <laughs> so Christy do you want to use the microphone it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes I'm trying to remember the name of the author cannot, but I can share the quote. So the quote was, um, happiness is not being in a place of no trouble, no hard work, no chaos, and no noise. Happiness is being able to be amidst all of those things and still have peace in your heart. Nice, nice, nice. Thank you. You can just give it to Nemo next to you. It's really powerful. <laughs> you have to hold it down. I have this. Um. I noticed a difference from last week's practice uh, with um, a sequence being one thing after another and duration, which is more like a flow. And it was more like being a net and the river kept having things on it and I would notice and the river keeps flowing but the things in it can be related or completely unrelated to one another and rather than going with the river it was literally like just being the net and just noticing ah and then being back and then noticing it again. 
And so the flow seems like it is more organic, more... It's almost like there's an ease with not trying to control the river. Yeah. And just noticing the flow. Just noticing, oh, here it goes. It doesn't have to... It can go through the net. It doesn't have to get stuck there or just can flow right through. I mean, it definitely did get stuck a few times. (laughs) This is how I noticed the net. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, maybe, right? Yeah, great, thank you. Anybody else like to? I thought that you were giving a Dharma talk and that I was trying my hardest to pay attention to what you said, but I kept drifting off into a deeper and deeper and meditation and there was, I just felt a lot of guilt because I wasn't as mindful to your talk as I might have <laughs> otherwise been. <laughs> That's fine, John. Yeah, I <clears throat> uh, uh, enjoyed that. Go uh, a lot out of it. One of the things I noticed was I found noticing things arising to kind of just hit me with more sort of subtlety and just kind of gently coming into my awareness and for then focusing on things that were passing I noticed in me a little bit more of a kind of looking for what oh that's and waiting is that going to pass and that's slightly more graspy quality to that side of the arising and the passing, just a little bit more like, oh, now it's passed. Oh, now it's passed. <laughs> Whereas with the arising, it was more, because I didn't, I was just sort of seeing what was coming. It felt a little bit less, mm, just like tense or something. Yeah, maybe a little bit less effort. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, great, fantastic that you noticed that, and the different energetic quality. Great, thank you, Harry. Thank you. Um... The guided meditation was pretty much what I do. um, My usual practice. But uh, in the talk before that, I really appreciate um, you mentioning that perhaps you don't have to dwell on the impermanence of certain things if it makes you feel unsafe. That's a gift. Thank you. So, there is evil in the world. I've been getting um, emails from people who purport to have hacked my business accounts. Oh, no. Because they have discovered a very old password that um, I no longer use. And it still terrifies me, the thought of someone hacking my business and basically destroying what I've spent 30 years to build. And um, I've tried... Holding it as, I'll be happy even if it goes away, even if my business dies and goes away. But that doesn't really feel like perhaps the right um, path to, um, because it's, it's messed up my tranquility the past couple days because of this. Um, not really sure how to get past it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear this, Bess. I can imagine that's really, really... There is people in the world. Awful. These people. Hmm. I I, um, heard some advice that uh, somebody gave to somebody else, that somebody else told me, and I thought, wow, that was good advice. When um, my friend was having a lot of difficulties, and the advice that was given to her, I'll share this with you, she said... Hold on to the precepts as if your life depended on it. When all this kind of bad things were happening, like just hold on to these things which we know can help provide a certain amount of safety. So I offer that. Yeah. Take refuge in the Dharma mm-hmm. and the Sangha. Mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. glad you're here. Thank you. Um, you were asking 
what, what we experienced in the, the, the prompt. I'm sort of forgetting what it was. I'm sorry. You can share what you'd like. But I, the question was, you know, how was that? Was arising and passing away? Was it the same? Was it an uncomfortable experience? Was it um, different? Did you notice things flowing? I don't know. Whatever you'd like to share. <laughs> I found for me it was easier to notice the arising of things and the passing away. Uh, it seemed like an easier focus for me. Oh, there's a breath, there's an itch, there's a that, there's a this. Um, whereas noticing the endings of things, um, maybe Harry was willing to decide, it felt like it was a little more, it required a little more work, I guess, I'm thinking about that. Or, yeah, so it was one thing. Um, I guess I noticed too that um, sometimes thoughts arise and uh, very often I have no idea why that thought, particular thought arises. But during this meditation, and this has happened in the past too, but I noticed it in particular in this meditation, I actually could trace back why that thought arose. And it was remarkable. It must have been in the space of two seconds whatever, I, you know, you lose sense of time, but I went from, you mentioned Satipatthana Sutta, and I remember reading Satipatthana Sutta last, last uh, summer in upstate New York, and I remember walking down a trail in upstate New York, and it, this was all within two seconds I was in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with um, Satipatthana, nothing to do with this at all, but, but I, I, I was able to kind of trace it back, oh, it was all because you mentioned that word and that had a connotation for me and, and understanding that that happens all the time. That's, that for me, I guess, a synonym for life. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm constantly doing that. So uh, it was an interesting... Uh, I felt it was, it was gratifying to be able to, ah, gotcha. I got that one. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Peter. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week kind of how things lead from one to the next and the next. We'll talk about that. Thank you. So I usually, my meditation is usually pretty deep and calm, but um, something like unexpected and really great happened. And I, so my meditation is not so calm. And I find that like it just jumps, like I meditate. And then all of a sudden I'm like, fantasizing about this new prospects you know and I don't want I don't want to think of them as impermanent at all yeah 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 (laughs) and so um but then like when I notice myself there I can feel the I just notice the clinging and the and then going back to my to meditation just you know how more real it feels and more grounded and then I'm back, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it's just, it's just like, bam, you know, back and forth. Yeah. But I, but I feel like still it's the, the, the delusion of things that aren't real, you know, the uncomfortableness of this, even if it's something, you know, really good. Hmm. This is the human experience, right? Kind of like anticipating, oh, no, wait, I'm here. No, wait, in the future. Oh, oh, wait, in the past, right? It's kind of the human experience, just recognizing it. But were you able to notice, like, oh, here I am now thinking about this other thing? Wait, then I was here. Were you able to kind of notice the... Well, normally in meditation, it's like I'm much more, you know, it's I'm more calm, and so I can I can feel it. But no, because I have this, you know, I'm yeah. excited about this. It's like bam, bam, bam. Well, no, it's like bam, you're here, and it's like oh my god, you're here, and it doesn't feel good. Go back, and bam, you're there. <laughs> uh, who else has had that experience before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Jillian. And what about you? Should we we could bring the microphone back around if somebody's willing to? Thank you. <laughs> you. You don't have to. You don't have to speak if you don't want to. But. It was wonderful. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So why don't we do a small group uh, discussion? You can break up into two groups of four, and as we've done in some of these. 
um, one person will say, maybe just a few words, a few sentences, no need to give a big long story. Just a few words, a few sentences, and then I'll go to the next person, then I'll go to the next person, the next person, and then start again. And by the time you will have heard what other people have said, and you'll be influenced and be reminded and think of something else, and can have something else to say. So as a reminder, we're not giving each other advice. We're just sharing. And using it as a way to maybe find the edge of our knowing. Like maybe the first time around you're saying what's obvious and easy. But maybe the second time it comes around, something that's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit um, more, you have to, it's more on the periphery of your awareness or something like this. So without trying too hard. So... So why don't you get into groups of two groups of four, and then I'll give you the question, the prompt. You can move the chairs anywhere you'd like, and you can. Okay, you can introduce yourself to your partners. And then here's the question. What wisdom do you have about change, about inconstancy, about impermanence? What do you know? What wisdom do you have about wisdom? There's a lot of... I'm sorry, what wisdom do you have about change? Or what change do you have about wisdom? Maybe that's true too. So um, the person that's closest to the wall, this this the this wall over here where the, um, the chairs are, that person gets to go first. And as I said, you can just say a word or two and then go around. Um, please begin. Um. Whoops! So I can take this off. So we, we can add this um, into the mix. What are the barriers or the challenges to seeing impermanence? What gets in the way of seeing the changing nature of things? So we can just continue, like whoever the next person was, or if I interrupted uh, with the bells, the person who was speaking can continue. But what are the barriers? What are the challenges? What gets in the way? What are the obstacles? to seeing, knowing, remembering, experiencing impermanence. Please begin. I know for me, in my own practice, it's been really meaningful and helpful and integral to my practice to have other people to talk about these things with. You know, to kind of explore ideas and help understand what I was thinking better by hearing myself say it out loud or responding to what somebody else said, like, oh, I do agree or I don't agree or whatever it might be. So it's such a different way to engage with our practice. So I um, appreciate very much your willingness to get into small groups and talk about these things and explore them together. And maybe we have time for one comment. Is there something that I'd like to say? Yes, John. Can we make a microphone go your direction? <laughs> Thank you, Nemo. <laughs> I was trying to say this, but I didn't, wasn't able to say it. That um, you asked us what about um, impermanence, and it, 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 I was thinking about um, humankind and our views on right and wrong, and I'm thinking about the Buddha and his precepts. Twenty. 500 years before Christ, and then I'm thinking about Moses and the Ten Commandments 1,200 years before Christ, and the the right and wrong that these precepts and commandments put on the table for humankind have not really changed. As far as I'm concerned, they're still pretty much the same. 
Yeah, there's different ways we can look at them. We can look at how they're the same, or we can look at um, how they've changed too, right? If certainly, if we want to do a philological examination of how they show up in the scriptures, there's been a lot of change in them. And then how they get interpreted, both in Asia and in America, there's a lot of change. And then how people, you know, work with them is a lot of change. But at the same time, just this idea, this recognition of doing what's skillful, what's wholesome, what's helpful and not harming. Right? That's 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 staying the same out there, these ideas. Yeah, thank you, John. Okay, so it's nine oh one. I want to uh, respect your time. So thank you all for being here and may the changes that you're experiencing and noticing may you find ease and peace with them. Thank you. <laughs>